Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG to all of you and to me. Yeah, I'm and back. Blake. Blake is back. I'm back. I was gone for a month because uh, uh, we just had a kid. Yeah, congratulations, Thank by you. the way, if Thank I you. haven't said it. His name is Jace. I, yes. We did that on purpose. Uh, but yeah, he's doing great. Mom's doing great. And clearly you're doing great, too, because you're I'm back. doing okay. I have. <laughs> you'll notice for the first time I have coffee at this show because, you know, babies. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't get very much sleep. Yeah, that, you that drink lots and lots of coffee. Uh, as much as I'm sure everybody was here to see and hear Blake's You're not uh, at all Blake's here updates. to hear about my there, child. Uh, we're very excited today because we have a very special show. We have a very special guest. We do. Uh, but before we get to our very special guest, uh, should tell people why. Uh, he's going to be on the show. For those of you that don't know, we had a very uh, cool in, uh, installment of Magic Story come out yesterday. Uh, Children of the Nameless. It's a new magic novella available for download by none other than Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. Uh, beloved fantasy author, award-winning fantasy author, mm -hmm. Brandon Sanderson. Uh, it is available for free right now as an EPUB or PDF on mtgstory.com. So yep. if you go to mtgstory.com right now, download it. Uh, it is Brandon Sanderson's first ever magic novella. It introduces a new planeswalker. It takes place on Innistrad, another fan favorite plane. Mm -hmm. uh, and although we'll be we'll be interviewing Brandon for the bulk of the show, we are taking audience questions today, and we have uh, some of our moderators standing by to route them to us. So yep. please put, put your questions, chat. put them in chat. We'll answer them. If we some can. of them, yeah, not not all of them, but uh, but please put your your questions in chat. We'd for love Brandon. To... I don't don't ask us questions. No, don't ask Blake questions. We'll we be back want... later. Uh, yeah. But yes, uh, we have, as a special guest on the show today, none other than the man himself, Brandon Sanderson, who is standing by live via satellite, which is a fancy way of saying we called him on Skype. So, uh, I feel like I should be applauding. I know. Brandon, can you hear Welcome. us? Welcome. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Can, yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. It is my pleasure. I'm really excited. So uh, you are a, a long-time Magic fan, longtime Magic fan, and uh, you've spoken with a number of outlets already about Children of the Nameless and about Magic. Uh, and I think it was in Daily MTG that you mentioned your favorite. Uh, you mentioned that Royal Assassin was one of your first ever rare cards. Uh, it was my first. And uh, that Demir is your guild of choice. Uh, how much of your color preference uh, in that sort of blue-black control range uh, went into your creation of Davriel, the main character of uh, of Children of the Nameless? So I have this sort of streak in me that always likes to uh, to talk about the bad guys and talk about how they're not so bad. I'm a, I'm a proud Slytherin, for instance. <laughs> um, I think uh, there are some very uh, noble qualities to Slytherin. And so one thing I always like when magic stories come along or when the, uh, the black aligned uh, character is the hero, uh, because it's just, you don't see it as often. Granted, magic has done it before, mm -hmm. um, Umazawa, Right was a uh, was a black aligned hero and yep. things like that and that's one of my favorite stories uh, in Magic and so um, maybe oh it was like five or six years ago when was it, it was when um, when Return to Ravnica was new um, because I got uh, given a bunch of packs of that and I drafted uh, Gate Crash um, with some uh, some people at uh, at Wizards um, they mentioned hey we're doing some new story initiatives if you were ever interested. Um, and that kind of just stuck in the back of my head, and I thought, what would I do if I were to write a magic story? And I thought, well, I would need to write a Demir hero, right? That's just how it would have Obviously. to be. Yeah, totally. Um, and so over the years, that just kind of stuck in my head, and this character started to grow out of that to when earlier this year, um, uh, Nick came to me and said, hey, 
do you really want to do this? And I said, yeah, I really want to do this. And I've got a story already. Whoa. Like, All right. So ready made. Yeah. Well, and I, and I like what you said about, about making black line characters heroes. I really enjoyed the way you wrote uh, kind of the crew around Dabriel, his, his demons that were sort of bound to him by contracts. Uh, where did those voices for those characters come from? Um, I often, when I'm building a character, am looking at how they're going to play off their environment. Mm -hmm. um, I, you really need, particularly to avoid long monologues about what a character's uh, philosophy is on life, you need people for them to play against, right? For them to bounce off of. Uh, people that, uh, that both align with them and don't. And uh, key to developing Davril was this kind of cohort of demons to show how his specific philosophy on life was different from other people who might also be, you know, black aligned or villainous characters, but also in the places where they did align and things like this. And um, one thing that I, I also wanted to show is that, you know, a character who is uh, who is on the quote unquote bad guys team, um, you know, we we in fiction we like to make people who are quote unquote evil just kind of all around despicable, um, but I don't think that's very realistic. Uh, having a few attributes that might make you the antagonist doesn't mean that you don't have good relationships in other settings and situations. Um, and one of the things I wanted to deal with was a relationship between um, between Davriel and and a demon, uh, Miss Highwater. This is actually an idea of mine that goes back to um, to my college years. Um, I had an idea for a story who um, of someone who summoned a demon using a classic demonic contract. Um, but um, but then use the demon for something mundane like housekeeping or something <laughs> like that, yeah. which said that contrast just always amused me. I never found a place for it until I started developing Davriel. I'm like, hey, if I made him a diabolist, if he's a demon expert, um, and he's using these demons in ways that most people would not, um, that sounded really fun and interesting and could lead to some really interesting character dynamics between him and his crew. So. Um, that is where I went, and um, I had Miss Highwater kind of planned from the beginning. The rest of the demonic crew came out in uh, outlining and in, uh, in writing the story. Okay. So you, you created all these new characters, but you were working with a setting that already existed. And, and most of the time, you do a lot of the world building on your own. What was it like playing in a sandbox that wasn't exactly of your own creation? You know, I was really, I was a little nervous at first because I thought, am I just going to get this all wrong? Am I going to, am I going to ruin this? Um, is it going to go to the continuity editors and just come back with all sorts of, man, you just can't do any of this. Um, um, so I submitted an outline ahead of time that kind of laid out a, a number of the things I was, I was trying to do. And turns out, um, you know, my having played I Innistrad quite a bit. I have an Innistrad set cube. Um, I've loved both of the uh, the blocks that were on Innistrad, and knowing enough about the lore, plus being given kind of the the world books in house, um, I didn't get very much wrong. So um, I was I was very relieved to get back that outline with you know you can do this this and this. These are all these all work. Um, be careful on this. Um, say it like this on this one and things like that. But mm -hmm. uh, Magic does a really good job of evoking its setting with the cards. I think uh, we as players take for granted how good a job um, that the creative team does with that. But I found just having the cards was enough, right? Um, reading the flavor text, knowing the setting, having played it, um, 
I, I had it all there. And uh, I was really pleased with that. I was, I was really, uh, I, I was worried, like I said, but um, yeah, they do a really good job uh, evoking setting through very little text, which is something that I don't do a lot, right? I use <laughs> lots of text. Um, so we all have our own medium. It's true. Yeah. I appreciate their brevity. <laughs> Well, I think it's uh, I think it's really cool that you are yourself a player of magic. I mean, I think we were talking a little bit before this. Uh, I think it was Trick Jarrett mentioned to Blake that you have a commander cube, actually. I do. Uh, I just built that. I love building cubes. It kind of scratches that that game designer itch that I think a lot of us players have. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not skilled enough at game design to design my own game, but I can take a pool of cards and say, what if we did this? Um, and so this year, one of my big projects was a commander cube because. I love to draft, and a lot of my playgroup loves Commander. Um, and so I, I have a powered cube, which we draft quite a bit, but I wanted something else that I could take to conventions that'd be a little more um, newbie-friendly, new friendly, mm -hmm. right? When you break out the powered cube, um, it makes people's heads spin uh, when people are playing Storm or somebody else is doing Pox or something yeah. like this, and it just... You, you don't play normal games of magic in cube very often. So I wanted to build something that, that kind of walked the line between more of a modern cube, but also had commander elements. And so I built a cube that's, uh, that's one third legendary creatures mm -hmm. um, and has a lot of graveyard support. Those are kind of my two themes for it. Um, and we're slowly tweaking this, but the idea is you have to draft a commander um, and play that commander's color identity, and you draft a 60-card deck. We do uh, we do three packs of 21 right now. Uh, command damage. There you go. That's our that's our <laughs> theme. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's working really well. Um, I've had to do some some tweaks um, uh, to give people like certain um, certain equivalent of emblems um, that let you kind of put color identities like. You draft an emblem that says you can add green cards to your deck regardless of your commander's color identity. Sure. Uh, that works really well because it allows you to pick a monocolored commander, build around them. If you don't get quite enough cards for it, you can pick up one of these things um, in the draft, and then that emblem lets you just uh, you know make a make a Simic deck uh, with a with a mono green commander, okay. um, and that's worked cool. really well. That was my biggest worry with the cube was that you just wouldn't be able to get enough cards yeah. in your your color if you went monocolor. So you you've li listed off a commander cube, an Innistrad cube, a and power a power cube. cube. How many cubes yeah. do you yeah. have? So um, my my two main cubes are the power cube and the um, and the uh, the the commander cube. Now uh -huh. um, my favorite sets we usually drafted enough that I just have enough cards sitting around um, that if I take the extras to a convention and say hey. I have doubles of these. Anyone want to trade me? I can usually end up with uh, with one of each mythic and two of each rare to build sure. a set cube out of it. Nice. Uh, so I have an Innistrad set cube. I have a Rise of the Eldrazi set cube. I have a Shards of Alara set cube. And I just am finishing off a Cons of Tarkir set nice. cube. So. Yeah, I did the same thing with the original Modern Masters. I made a cube out of that. Kind oh, of yeah. yeah. Uh, they, that's a really good one to choose because it's kind of like a little bit like Powered Cube, but right. not quite. Yep. Yeah. I love me some shards of Alara. I do. I do love me some oh, shards man. of Alara. Oh man, I cube. would cube that. Yeah. Love that set. Uh, so you know, you have you have an Innistrad cube. You have a you have a yeah. lot of other cubes that represent sets. Uh, clearly, Innistrad, one of your favorite planes. Uh, I mean, you set the the story there. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, do do the other cubes that you've built sort of uh, represent some of your other favorite settings? Uh, in addition to them being your favorite sets. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, I love, because I'm a, a well-established and entrenched Magic player, I tend to really like 
the sets that make me think differently about Magic. Um, the first time this happened, I don't have a cube of this yet, so I don't have enough of the cards, um, was in the Odyssey block, actually. Um, and I know a lot of people, Odyssey was a little head-scratching to them, right? Because the mechanics were different, things with, uh, with, uh, with madness and threshold and um, all the creature types were different. And I just loved that set because right about that time, I'd been feeling that magic was getting a little stale for me. And then the set came out that completely changed the way that I played magic. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. Uh, when I visited Wizards long time ago, like I said, uh, during during Gate Crash, I, I mentioned this to Mark Rosewater, and he actually went and dug out a playtest card from Odyssey for me, um, which he, it, which is a prize of my collection. It was actually accumulated knowledge, which wasn't oh, nice. eventually oh, yeah. in Odyssey, yeah. but it had been tested in Odyssey because of the graveyard thing. And so in my Powered Cube, you can actually draft a four-pack of accumulated knowledge um, that it comes with four <laughs> copies, and one of them is the playtest card that, uh, that Mark gave me. Oh, that's so um, great. That's awesome. So that was that was a big deal for me. Um, and of course, Rise of Eldrazi was another one. Um, this happens with a lot of entrenched players. The fact that it played so differently, uh, mm -hmm. that it drafted so differently, that uh, that it kind of turned a lot of things on, on its head um, and was a really, really great draft environment. Um, I love... Uh, Alara Block, I think, is one of my favorite flavor-wise settings. I loved the idea of the, you know, the planes where you were missing... Um, two colors of magic on each one, the, the hat, the shards, the pieces of planes. Mm -hmm. um, the story and lore of that was fascinating to me. Um, and I still just love that concept. Um, and the, the five worlds that they built that, uh, that would, would rise out of, it's, it's sort of world building I really like when you change something dramatic. Um, you know, <coughs> Stormlight Archive came from me saying, hey, what if, uh, what if massive hurricanes blasted uh, the planet every couple of days? How would life... Um, evolve around that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Alara Block does that with magic, right? It's like, how would how would life on these planes evolve if there weren't any green magic? Yeah. Um, which I, I just love that. Cool. Um, let's go back to uh, the, the, the story that you wrote. Um, mm -hmm. We could talk about magic all day. Yeah, but, and, we, uh, and, we and we will at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, Davriel, you know, is going to get the headline, he's on the cover, all that jazz, everyone's going to talk about him. But uh, to send a play is basically uh, just as big a role in the story. Where did that character come from? So as I was developing the story, um, in the years before I was even asked to write it, one thing that occurred to me um, quite clearly, came to me quite clearly, was that I could not center the story entirely around Davriel um, because he is a person that is in many ways um, transcending the setting, right? He's not from Innistrad. Um, he matches well to Innistrad, but to him, Innistrad is just another place. Mm -hmm. um, and the lore and story of Innistrad is about how it is to live in this dark place, right? Uh, where humans are kind of re are regarded as food by a lot of the environment. Um, and what that does to the people living there and what, uh, what life is like. And I knew that I needed someone closer to the setting to, to also, you know, co-star in it, because otherwise it would just feel like uh, the tourist on vacation. Uh, the stakes would not be high enough. Um, and the story wouldn't feel Innistrad enough to me if it were just somebody from off-plane taking a tour of it. Right. Um, and so I started developing to send actually started as um, 
as a little bit more like her sister, um, as, uh, as someone who was hunting out Davriel to kill him as kind of a, a monster hunter uh, type person, a Cathar or an Inquisitor or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the opening scenes I planned were this woman, older woman, you know, in her, in her 20s or 30s who was coming to bring down this lord that all the stories were about. Um, and that eventually didn't work because, again, the stakes weren't personal enough. Um, I had to back her up and put her from a village, uh, make her younger um, to, to fit this story as it was developing. Um, and so we still have echoes of that where Davriel's complaining about all the people who come and try to hunt him down. Um, but to send I needed to be really close to the story and the conflict so that we had that heart for the story. Because if you're going to do a mono-black uh, character or a, you know, a black-blue character as your protagonist, uh, you might want to look somewhere else for the heart of the story. <laughs> that seems like a pretty reasonable assumption to me. Uh, I think I think Descenda really struck a chord. No, no pun intended. Uh, with with the audience, <laughs> but uh, is that is that a character that you think you might want to come back to someday? Uh, you know, a character that you hope will show up again. Yeah, I've definitely uh, left some unresolved issues uh, with uh, with both her and Avril. So um, I would look forward to another chance. I don't know when I would be able to find the time, um, but um, I don't think this story is 100% done. Um, and so so we'll see. All right. Yeah. Uh, do you... Now, apparently, we're going back to talking about magic again. I do like not? magic. Yeah. We all like magic here. That's, do, you have that's any, do you have any favorite moments from magic's lore um, that really stuck with you? Um, so I was following the whole Weatherlight saga when it was happening. Um, yep. And... Mm -hmm. And you know, um, it's on it's on the card, right? Um, the which one? The 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 uh, what's the name of it? Black uh, white uh, vindicate, um, yep. right? I think it's on vindicate, right? Kind of the climactic crux crux moment yep. of the weatherlight saga was was really cool for me. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, recently, I really liked how uh, Shadows over Innistrad played out, mm -hmm. um, uh, how that went at the end with the moon and everything. Um, I'm a big, I love Lovecraft, um, and mm -hmm. I felt that the blend of cosmic horror and gothic horror worked really well in that, and then the kind of final, um, it was a new way to do the Eldrazi. I really, um, I liked that moment quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, all the all the Dominaria stories, uh, Martha Wells wrote those, I believe. Yep. Um, they were there. A lot of them were really kind of smaller and personal uh, stuff with Slimefoot and things like that. She just did a really good job of making all those all the side characters in particular become stars of those stories. So I had a lot of favorite moments in those. I thought she uh, she did a great job there. Um, you know, I've often I, I someone asked me on my AMA that I'm doing over on Reddit. Uh, favorite planeswalker, and I've, you know, Urza. It, it's kind of cliched, right? But as a as a young fantasy fan, um, seeing someone take the Gandalf figure and make him a little bit corrupt—maybe the wrong term for Urza, right? No, nah, um, that's but, probably. Uh, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. He was a terrible human being. Right? Yeah. Um, it's like no one ever takes Dumbledore and points out how dangerous a person Dumbledore really could be, mm -hmm. and Magic yeah. did that. They went there. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Instead of this, you know, being of light um, and wonder, he was instead this this dangerous 
person who is trying to do something good, but whose motives you're really worried about through the course of the story. And I really, I found him fascinating. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Brandon, that I, I like about you, not only are you a big fan of Magic uh, as, a, as a concept, but you're clearly a really big fan of the game itself. Uh, talk a little bit about how games have influenced you as a writer. Uh, I know that a lot of writers play games, uh, RPGs, yeah. tabletop, Magic. Uh, how has that influenced you as a writer? Like, how have you, uh, what kind of influence have games had on your life? So, yeah, um, I mean, I would say that you can't separate the game from the Brandon. Um, I was the first generation of writer who grew up playing games, really, right? Um, like, uh, I, had a, I had a Nintendo when I was 11, um, and I, you know, the Final Fantasy games. I got into Magic when I was in high school, um, the first year it came to Nebraska, where I lived. I, I didn't see Unlimited um, or anything like that, but when Revised launched it kind of worldwide, um, I was there, and... Um, I am known mostly for my very kind of rule-based magic systems in my books. Um, and I think that is an outgrowth of me gaming a lot when I was younger, right? Mm. Uh, growing up with uh, the kind of the generation before me, you had a lot of nebulous magic, which I still think can be really cool and really fun. But you never really know what Gandalf can do. And even something like Earthsea, when Ged does something, it usually is this big, dramatic, we don't know what the implications of this will be. Um, it's dangerous to use magic, right? Mm -hmm. And this was a really cool concept um, in 70s uh, fantasy and 60s fantasy. But 80s, 90s fantasy, very you start to see uh, people say, well, what if we could harness this? What if it were, if, what if it followed the scientific method? If you did something with the magic, it always had this effect. And you may not be able to say why, because, you know, laws of thermodynamics, uh, if you dig too much into it, you know, all sorts of magic look really bad. But if the effects are repeatable, then what does this do? What do you do with society um, and things like this? And, you know, I think my generation grew up asking, what if, what if you really could just heal someone with a touch, right? What if there are people in every village that could do this? Uh, what, what if you could transmute one material to another? Like, really, what would that do to a society? Um, and those sorts of things are the fun parts of writing to me. Um, and I think you can trace that directly back to playing Magic, uh, mm -hmm. to playing Final Fantasy, to, to gaming a lot when I was younger. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, now... Before I ask you this question, warning, don't give too much away. Okay. <laughs> but uh, in, in addition to writing this character of Dario, writing this story, you worked with uh, uh, the TCG studio on creating a card for this character, correct? Well, not really. What okay. I did is I did all the... Um, um, so they called and said, we want to have concept art for this character sure. um, in case we do make a card for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we want to really nail down the visual style because for Planeswalkers, that's something you guys really need because you're going to have multiple different illustrators illustrating these cards. And right. so you need the look to be consistent. Um, and so I got to go... Um, call in on a number of meetings where I explain the character, where I answer questions about the character, and then they commissioned uh, concept art and would send it to me and say, what do you think of this? Um, and it, it was actually really quite awesome. I didn't expect them to do this, right? I mm -hmm. expect them to say, well, we're going we're gonna to handle all of that. Yeah. Um, and then you take the, what we give you, and that's not what they wanted to do. They really wanted me to be involved in creating this character from the ground up. Um, and they even said, okay, if this character had mechanics... 
um, what kind of mechanics would you see? Gotcha. Um, and you know that none of that is a promise that any one thing will appear on a card. I think it's likely we'll get a Davriel card eventually because of all this work um, they put into it. But um, but one of the things they they were they asked me about a lot is you know every Planeswalker card when we do it it doesn't necessarily capture every. Um, every part of a character. So, what are the different parts of this character that would be uh, that would be viable as a card? What are the different faces? And I think this was just a way for them to, to understand uh, the character. It was a great experience. Very cool. Uh, we talked a little bit about about uh, favorite sets already. Mm -hmm. What about uh, getting into those sets and into that sort of nitty gritty gaming aspect that we just talked about? Uh, do you have a favorite mechanic in Magic? Oh, wow. Um, all of my favorites tend to be the weird ones that don't come back, but I guess I love <laughs> Madness, and it came back, so who sure. knows? Um, I really liked snake Level offering. Up. Snake in, Offering. Uh, snake Offering. I really loved Level Up in uh, in um, Rise of the Eldrazi, Rise 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 yeah, yeah. um, and I, I don't think that one's ever coming back, mm -hmm. but I love the concept of Little... Uh, of the story, right? I really like sagas for this reason, right? Yeah. I like it when one card tells a story. Things like, um, like, uh, what is it, Hero of Destiny or he Figure of figure Destiny? Figure of Destiny, yeah. Um, yeah. Like the idea of, of encapsulating an entire story on a card is really cool to me. And level up, each of them felt like they had a story to them that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I look for those story-based mechanics. Uh, sagas were great for that. Um, I really like sagas in Dominaria. Okay. I also really like Sagas and Dominaria. Those, like were, and those Dominaria. were fun. Yeah. They're fun. Um, so if you if you wrote another magic story in the future, where would you want to set it? What would you want to do with it? Um, if I were, were to do it, I think the most likely thing to do would be a follow-up to this, just kind of um, mm -hmm. with the same characters and things like that. Um, if I weren't going to do that, the only other real option I considered just briefly when they said, hey, do you want to do a story? You can do whatever you want, uh, was to take a character from uh, the Legends expansion from way back when that just didn't have a story for them sure. yet. Um, and right then, because Legends is the first uh, the first expansion set of Magic I ever bought. Okay. Uh, it, uh, right after I got into Magic and bought my starter deck of Revised um, and things like that, Legends came into my my game store, which was actually my bookstore also, Cosmic mm -hmm. Comics in Lincoln. It sold fantasy novels, it sold uh, card games, it sold uh, comic books, so what yeah. more do you need, right? Yeah. Um, and RPG books, uh, right? So um, I just kind of lived at that store, um, and when Magic, you know, the new expansion came out, uh, they said, you need to buy whatever you can buy of this right now, as they were unwrapping the box, they said, because this will be gone in an hour. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have any money, so I'm like, all right, I'll buy one pack. It's what I could afford. <laughs> I bought one pack of Legends. Yeah. Uh, I got a Chromium, I believe. Nice. Um, nice. Which was very appropriate with my uh, my Esper leanings. Um, and um, yeah, like going back and doing those Legends, that was interesting to me. Part of what made me not do it is I knew, at least I know. I'm pretty sure that a lot of those legends were based off of RPG games uh, that the the people you know their own yep. their own games. Those, so those characters, even even if they don't have official magic stories, they already have stories to them. Mm -hmm. They're somebody's characters, um, and I wouldn't necessarily want to do that unless I could get in touch with the person who came up with that character and say, who is this character? Yeah. So I can stay true to your vision, which sounded like more work than perhaps it, it <laughs> might have been worth. I don't know. Yeah. Uh 
Before we uh, we move on to fan questions, there there was one in here that I meant to ask you about, but I haven't yet. Uh, that that uh, art piece behind you. Someone asked if it was a Phyrexian mountain. I know for a fact that it's not. But uh, but no. that's that's a really great piece by Steve Argyle, right? It is. Yeah, I met Steve Argyle, uh, who's a, an artist for various Magic cards, um, at uh, the airport. We were both flying to a convention, and I went into the bookstore in the airport to sign books. Um, and he and his wife, Kat, were back there browsing for fantasy novels to read. Um, and it just came out that, you know, I write books and he does magic cards, uh, which was really cool. And so uh, and he lives, like, up the street from me, literally. He's, like, oh, two wow. blocks away. Uh, he, he's part of the people I mentioned that love Commander, that I draft with a lot, are Steve and Kat. Um, and so... Um, we became pretty good friends. Um, we ended up, uh, you know, collaborating on various art pieces and things like that. I use him all the time for art. This is the, the end pages for the Mistborn Leatherbound um, we, we commissioned from Steve. So I, uh, I'm a big fan of Steve Argyle. Um, and uh, we often, if we're at conventions nowadays together, we'll play two-headed giant games against uh, fans. So you might be able to get uh, Brandon and Steve uh, to, to play against you at some point if you meet us at the right convention. I can hear a lot of fans rubbing their hands. Yeah, seriously. Right now, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like we have some time. We have a lot of lot of uh, viewer questions. Great, let's get that to are, That are interested in talking to Brandon. So, uh, okay, so here's one from Lasco the King. Uh, for Brandon, what was the coolest part about getting to write for Magic? Um, I would say the coolest part was that moment where I, I realized they were going to let me design a planeswalker from the ground up. Um, and that, you know, it, it's a, a little bit like one of those, uh, uh, I've heard writers who get to write for Marvel and they say, design us a new superhero, right? For the Marvel universe or something like this. Like one of those pure joy moments where you realize something you're doing is entering the canon. Um, and even if it doesn't have a big part, you've done something that is now part of the lore. Mm -hmm. um, I, that moment was really special to me. Um, and I know we're all hopeful that, you know, in, in the coming years we'll get some big magic cinematic universe and things like this. Uh, the fact that maybe someday I can go to one of those movies and see a Davriel King cameo, right, is just <laughs> super exciting to me. But the idea that there might be cards, right, that I, I can put in my cubes that are the character I designed, um, like that just that tickles me to to no end. Yeah, or not a, not even just the character card, but like there'll be yeah. flavor text yeah. maybe. Yeah, right, right, and, right. Yeah, the yeah, Davriel cube. Davriel. Yeah, <laughs> oath, oath of Davriel maybe. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the, maybe maybe not. Maybe. Uh, there's a there's a question that I think is somewhat facetious uh, from from somebody named Doomsy. They ask, can we direct challenge Brandon in Magic: The Gathering Arena? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I see this being possible in the future. Okay, um, all right. I, um, I don't play a lot of Arena or MTGO. Um, I like them. I think they're a lot of fun. But um, I spend so much time by myself with my computer that when I play Magic, I usually want to get out of the house and go hang out with friends because my job is so solitary. I don't, so I don't look for video games um, as something else to do just on my computer. I, I look for games that, like, when I play video games, it's things I can play with my kids. We're doing Stardew Valley right now with the oh, co-op and stuff like that. Uh, we did Terraria before that. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, Arena is a lot of fun. Uh, and I can see myself wasting way too much time on Arena <laughs> in the, the, coming, uh, the coming years. So um, 
if I ever am uh, am doing it more than I am now, I'll let people know. They can challenge me. Sure. Cool. I'll have to come up with some themed deck that's appropriately bad um, <laughs> that they can uh, they can appreciate the thought behind it. Uh, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a Johnny. So um, decks that uh, that don't do anything but kind of uh, you can imagine them finally doing something. Those those are the things that I'm the, I'm the really... one in twenty games where you finally do it. You're like, yeah. yes, I can uh, build a new I deck now. I did the now. thing. <laughs> it yeah. made those other nineteen games worth it. Uh, still the water asks, is Crowstorm still viable in your cube? You know what? I had to take Crowstorm out. Um, uh. it, it just turned out, I liked it. I loved the concept. It was fun. Um, but um, Empty the Warrens is already a little sketchy, right? Um, as a win con for Storm. And I found that Crowstorm was just a slightly sketchier um, empty the Warrens. You really need to win the turn you go off with Storm. I've spent too many a game um, being on two life um, as I've been setting up Storm um, and uh, and then, you know, summoning even, you know, 20 goblins and then like, all right, you know, we'll, uh, we'll wrath and then kill you. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I eventually took it out. Uh, I slipped it into, I have this thing I call a mini cube. Um, and the mini cube is um, all my favorite unset cards um, mixed with um, a lot of conspiracies. And the idea is if you want to spice up a format, you add two cards from this to a pack hmm. um, that you open of a regular set. Um, and it just kind of, uh, it's a way to take a regular set that we've drafted two or three times um, and do something different with it. Uh, uh, Crowstorm went into that. I don't know if it will ever be able to be done um, be used, but uh, but that that's a lot of fun, um, and it, it it lets it live on in perhaps some way uh, for the future. As the resident silver bordered enthusiast of Weekly MTG, yeah. I I appreciate that very much. Uh, uh, Larsen asks, what are Tessenda's colors? Is she BG BW? What uh, what what do you see as her color identity? So I started with Tessenda. Um, as wanting to do a mono-red character whose uh, red aspect manifests um, through music. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I see uh, magic designers talking about, wishing they could do more, but the card game is based so much around combat that it's hard to express things other than you know, natural combat emotions. And I thought, well, if I'm writing a story, um, I don't have to, you know, I don't have the same constraints. Um, the problem is a lot of her motivations were green white, yeah. um, uh, which is a very natural Innistrad human sort of uh, motivation. And she came out as um, with the green kind of being dominant in her personality as I actually wrote the story. So I would say she's dominant green with a secondary white and red. So she's Naya, um, but if you were gonna make a card monocolor, you would probably make her green. Uh, uh, same way with Gabriel that I would say he is black if you're gonna make one card, but he's really Demir. Um, if you're gonna go multiple colors, yep. I'm not surprised that uh, Davriel's Demir, given yeah. given your own preferences. Uh, there is another question about Tessenda. What led you to use music for Tessenda's magic? Um, this was really me wanting to do um, music as a manifestation of the creativity of red. Um, red is one of those colors um, that, um, like I said, when when you play the game, it tends to feel a little more one-sided because. There are certain things red can do when you're working with the mechanics of a combat system. Um, and it feels like red is the color that has the biggest difference between its effect on the lives of the people 
and its representation in the game, right? Uh, most of the other colors, those things are very similar, but with red, you know, you can the red aligned characters that you meet in the village are all gonna be characters that wouldn't represent very well in a card uh, because there'll be people who have, you know, a loving family life. There'll be people who are into music and art. Um, there'll be people who are, who are you know, uh, that don't do well as, um, as you know, they're not characters you're gonna make a card game about. Uh, you know, the, the the villager who has a nice, stable family life and loves their family <laughs> just doesn't end up in stories, right? Um, and so I wanted to take that music side and give a magical component to her music that manifests um, so that if she ever were using the card, that you couldn't ignore the red side of her. Um, and that that's where that came from. And by making, um, having her weird curse, right? Uh, for those who haven't read the story, she is blind during the days and can see at night. Um, and this was this grew out of the you know Innistrad. You got to have curses, right? Of um, I was brainstorming things I needed to have if I were going to be an Innistrad, and curses was top of the list. And uh, I wanted an interesting curse, and I thought somebody who was like that um, that music might be a refuge for her during the days when mm -hmm. uh, her sight left her. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, we have a question about uh, the type of commander decks you play. Uh, do you still enjoy playing Zedru? I do. Zedru is uh, one of my go-to, which Zedru is not Demir, so that is a that is an oddity for me. Um, you'll also find me playing any sort of um, Demir clone deck. So Lazov, um, both versions of him, um, I have uh, commander. Uh, I've used as commander. Um, I, I really like the kind of copy, clone, destroy, uh, evil twin uh, as the theme for a deck. Um, so yeah, what else do I have? Um, anything that works in, in a weird Johnny way, you will see me trying to build. I did build an experiment crash um, deck at one point, right? And um, I built, uh, this is Esper, right? Marie Breddit. I can't yep. say her name. Yep. Um, she's uh, she's the, the, the steal your dude um, uh, commander from original, uh, original Legends, I think. Yep, yeah, uh, yeah she was. Back in the and, day, uh, Esper was, Colors. Was my first commander deck that I ever built on my own. What was with her? Gotcha. Uh, we have a question from Why are Siegel? You said that you like the idea of a non-traditional hero like Black or Black Blue. Uh, what did you think of the Aetherborn as a species? I love them. Um, I loved Kaladesh all around. Um, I actually, for those who follow, I um, now have a fully built all foil Kaladesh set cube. Wow. Um, because I, I traded for a bunch of cards and things like that. Uh, the Aetherborn are exactly what I love to see in Magic, where people, where the designers say, let's take a different side of a color. Um, and it's very Brandony, right? Um, an entire race that's built around the, um, the ecosystem that only can exist on this fantasy world that couldn't exist in our world. Mm -hmm. um, it, it gave me one of my favorite short stories ever. Um, if you guys haven't read it, it's um, it's by Ray Bradbury. It's called, I think, Frost and Fire. Um, it's a story about a world where people only live seven days. Mm. Um, and one of maybe my favorite short story of all time. And the Aetherborn kind of gave me that same vibe, um, the short life uh, span sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, we've got a question that is, uh, so after Urza, other than Urza, what is your favorite <laughs> Planeswalker? Um, boy, I, um, recently I felt that the way the team did Jaya 
was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say of recent years, she's my favorite uh, just because, um, again, it's it's not what you normally see. Um, coming back to the, the character um, years later and, uh, you know, you, you don't see... Fantasy is one of these things that tends to ignore uh, mature characters of either gender, but particularly mature women. Mm -hmm. um, and having, having her, she worked really well for me. Uh, on soul visual design alone, Ashiok is probably my favorite. Yep. Uh, they are just a really interesting character with not a lot of lore to them, um, but uh, great visual design, the sort of mechanic that I really love. If you, if you can't tell from the way that Davriel works, um, stealing somebody else's stuff and doing cool things with it is, is kind of my jam. <laughs> uh, and Ashiok is right in that, that wheelhouse. It uh, doesn't do the same sort of standard stuff that most Planeswalkers do. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you will see me draft to Ashiok at any point if they come along in my power cube. I'm like, well, whatever I was doing, now I'm doing Ashiok. It's it's really interesting you say that because Ashiok's only had one card yeah. and has only been in one set. Uh, but I believe, so we had a, a gallery. Yeah, a uh, gallery in, show at Gallery 1988 yep, in Los and Angeles. Ashiok was... I think the most popular character that the artists chose to create. Art that's for. that's correct. There yeah. was some there were some really really cool Ashiok pieces in that gallery show. Uh, but yes, very very popular Planeswalker from a visual perspective certainly. Mm -hmm. And I know that people, as Brandon mentioned, enjoy taking other people's stuff and doing cool things. Yeah, that with card's it. actually just busted. Yeah, it's real it busted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, here's a good one uh, from Pinball Witch. Brandon, what's your favorite Theros god? Oh, you know, when question. I built the Commander Cube, I put all the Theros gods in. Mm -hmm. um, I got a little help from uh, from folks at Wizards to get me the ones that I didn't have. Um, which is my favorite? Um, oh, uh, am I going to say it right? Right? Um, what's the... Atheros? Atheros, God of Passage. Atheros, God of Passage, yeah. We opened an... How do you say it? Atheros? I think, I think I think so? it's I think it's Athreos Athreos. I don't. We'll have to we'll have to ask somebody in the building. Yeah. Apologies. This is a common yeah. experience with talking about your favorite fantasy things. Uh, we have this whenever we talk <laughs> about books. Yeah. You start pronouncing yep. a character's name, and they're like, "Who?" I pronounce them like this. Yep. <coughs> all of my Wheel of Time fans uh, friends growing up, we all pronounce the names all differently. Mm -hmm. uh, now I have to do them right because I worked on it. But, right. Exactly. Uh, for, for years, it was just like you know, this is how I say the character's name. Um, it, the mechanics were cool. Um, I really liked the way um, all the gods of the dead and the, the undead were treated on Theros. Um, I really liked the whole mask thing, the losing your memory. Um, I really liked the reprint of, um, of Thoughtseize as an on-world flavor reprint that was so cool. Um, I really liked the, the main Erebos, the main god of the dead. Uh, and just the kind of, again, in, the, in that story, the, the white uh, character, uh, white aligned was the villain, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the the god of death w had a really interesting story to them. So yeah, there you go. Good one, good one. I like it. Uh, have you taught any of your kids how to play magic? I have. My uh, my eleven year old plays magic. Uh, we're planning a uh, we have a bo box of battle bond that I saved for the holidays that we're going to do a fathers and sons uh, or fathers and daughters draft with a. Uh, with my friends, um, and so he's really excited for that. Um, and I'm getting him to play arena because it's uh, a little easier for him. Um, mm -hmm. Is you know, particularly learning when the mechanics when you can't do things wrong 
it yeah. really helps. Uh, so, but he, uh, he has his little, he, he asked me when he was young, what is the strongest card in magic? Um, <laughs> and, um, I couldn't really answer that, but I'm like, well, here are some of the biggest. And he just latched onto Blightsteel Colossus as like his thing, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, he's, he, he was eight. And so you just want the biggest, coolest thing. Yeah. Uh, so he has a deck he can play against almost nobody because it's a, it's a vintage deck, right? Um, which is, uh, which is a... Um, yeah, a Tinker Blightsteel. Tinker Blightsteel. Yeah. <laughs> Your Lemuel has a Tinker Blightsteel. Wow. That's, yeah. That's, I did uh, put the wow. power nine in him. It, he's 11, but it is a Tinker, <laughs> you know, because otherwise he can never play his Blightsteel. So yeah, he, he, only, knows how to... he only gets Mox yeah. Diamonds. Yeah, only, only yeah. Mox Diamonds. <laughs> mox Diamonds and Lotus Petals, kid. Yep. Oh, Wait till gosh. you grow up for real Tinker, boxes. Tinker Blightsteel. I've, I've seen that happen in Cube more <laughs> often than I'd care to admit, mm -hmm. and it feels so good when you're the one doing it. Yep. And so yeah. bad when you're the one that it's you getting done to. You just look at all your cards and you're like, I, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. <laughs> uh, Tinker, Tinker Blightsteel is a pretty good deck for, for an 11-year-old. Uh, that's that's yeah. really impressive. Uh, here's a question from Fantrocity. Uh, what is your favorite dumb gimmick combo? Dumb gimmick combo. Okay. Yeah. So I read about um, a thread on... Uh, on Magic the Gathering subreddit once that had my favorite deck concept of all time. Okay. Um, and this deck concept was a Battle of Wits deck that only played a 60-card deck. And the idea was you needed to use Sponsire of Ulamog, which allows you to get... Um, <laughs> it, it has kind of an ultimate ability to grab uh, any number of Eldrazi cards you know from outside the game. Obviously, this is uh, a casual deck. Yeah. Um, but the idea was to grab 200 copies of Emrakul, <laughs> and then I'll go play, and I'll kill each other from Legend Rule. Go to your graveyard, reshuffle your library so you had 250 cards in your library, and win with Battle of Wits, right? Um, sure. I've never heard of a deck cooler than that concept in my entire life. I, I kind of want to play that now. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds so Ag great. Again, against who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who would play that? <laughs> Tinker Blightsteel, obviously. You just, just reach in your bag. You're like, I have 200 Emrakuls. <laughs> From outside of the game. Uh, in, my, uh, in my Commander Cube, I do have Battle of Wits, and it comes with uh, a little emblem um, that said that uh, it comes with a Momir Vig emblem from, uh, from Moto. Mm. So you get Battle of Wits and 200 and something basic lands, and you play uh, Momir Basic um, with, uh, with one of the apps that'll give you a random card uh, against your opponent playing a normal deck. Um, and it's a lot of fun uh, yeah, to, to really play Momir Basic with a Battle of Wits somewhere in your deck. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Uh, question from Mandalore209. Did you get anything magic-related when you went to Alaska? I did not get anything magic-related when I went to Alaska. I should have. Um, I'm trying to remember. On that tour, someone did give me a pack of cards. Sometimes this happens. Uh, and then I have the fans sign one. I don't think it was in Alaska, but if it was you and someone in Alaska, it, you gave it to me, then I apologize for misremembering. <laughs> it's a really um, leading question. Did you get something in Alaska Did you, did by you get any something chance? in Alaska? Did, did you remember Usually, that? From Alaskan 3493. Um, <laughs> that speaks a uh, different language that has magic in the language. I usually buy, buy a pack just uh, so I have um, have some sort of souvenir. But, you know, Alaska may feel like a different country, but it, uh, it, it, <laughs> it is actually ours. Um, and when I'm on tour, I do not get a lot of time to do anything other than go to the bookstore and then back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. um, my signings 
these days usually last around six hours. They can go as long as eight. Um, and so I fly into town, I go to the bookstore, I sign from seven o'clock until one or 2 a.m. a lot of nights, and then I go back to the hotel. I crash, I get up the next day, I fly to another bookstore. So yeah. uh, not a lot of time to see the sights when I'm on tour. It's, uh, it's, it's really great that you were able to not only be on tour, but also, I believe, finish up this novella for Magic. I mean, I know yeah. that you were on tour for, for your book really recently. So uh, on behalf of me and all of the fans, thank you so much for all of your hard work. Uh, last question from the Twitch chat. We have a question about, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, what is your favorite shard in Shards of Alara? Uh, Esper, obviously. Yeah. Though, I will say, um, I have a soft spot for Bant because I think yeah. Bant was designed really well. It's vi visually very interesting. Um, it kind of evokes that knights thing that you can see in my Stormlight Archive. I have a thing for knights in, uh, in ridiculous armor. And uh, I really like the concept of no armor on your back because who would hit you in your back? Um, <laughs> and uh, the, 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 what are those things called? The, the big lions they ride around on? Um, yeah, I forget what they're called, but yeah. Yeah, yeah they're really cool. Le Leon 2 or something like that. Um, Leotaus. Yeah, there yes. you go, Leotaus. Yeah. Are visually really cool, uh, kind of mixing a big uh, a big Destrian uh, horse, you know, with the big hooves like Clydesdale with, uh, with a lion. Turned out to be visually one of those cool fantasy images that I wish I'd come up with. Like, that's the one of the things <laughs> I point to the magic and say, man, I, sh I should have thought of that. That is really cool. Well, uh, I also I'm also a big fan of Bant. Uh, it was, so they gave my, us noble hierarchy. It's my favorite shard. Yeah, Rock's War Monk, Rock's War mm. Monk on turn three. Rock's Come on, we're on turn two with the noble hierarchy. Yeah, or or that. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for fan questions. Brandon, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank today. you, we really Brandon. It was great it. talking to you. And uh, once again, Children of the Nameless by Brandon Sanderson available for free as an EPUB or PDF for download on MTGStory.com. Brandon Sanderson, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. All right. Well, please go to mtgstory.com, download the book, uh, let us know what you think, uh, and if you'd like to see Brandon come back, uh, hopefully we'll be able to yeah. have him back again to write another magic story. That's, uh, that's my hope, personally. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week on Weekly MTG. Uh, head over to mtgstory.com, once again, to download it. Yep. Uh, I'm off next week, but Blake is I will going be to be back. here. Yep, he's I gonna... will. I will be, we'll just be doing. Uh, we'll be playing some arena and doing an AMA. So literally, yeah. any questions you have about Magic: The Gathering, uh, you can send them to, to me on Twitter or on Twitch chat next Thursday, and we'll just answer mostly anything that you ask. Brandon, if you want to ask him questions too, you should. Feel you should free. tweet at Blake. And, <laughs> will uh, do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone.